Okay. <laughs> Proverbs 14. Uh, we're going to look at just one verse tonight and uh, kind of use this as a launching pad. Um, but uh, Proverbs 14, verse 34, uh, simply says this, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Could we, uh, could we read that all together here out loud? Ready, begin. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And with that, let's pray and we'll get into our uh, message tonight. Lord, thank you for allowing us to gather together as a church family and what a privilege it is uh, to be able to meet here freely and to be able to enjoy uh, being a family, a church family. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just bless this service in a very special way tonight and uh, speak to our hearts. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we prepare tomorrow to celebrate 246 years of independence and freedom as a country, we are mindful that not all is well in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, we just finished a couple days ago what uh, our culture refers to as Pride Month. Um, and just a little history on how Pride Month came to be. Um, there's a little more information that I'm going to share with you, but uh, it was Bill Clinton who was the first U.S. president to officially recognize Pride Month back in 1999 and in 2000. And then from 2009 to 2016, President Barack Obama declared June as the LGBT Pride Month. And this might surprise many here tonight, but in May of 2019, President Donald Trump recognized Pride Month with a tweet announcing that his administration had launched a global campaign to decriminalize homosexuality. So even the administration, that was our great hope, right? The administration that promised to make America great again was championing an abomination according to the scriptures. And again, I, I'm thankful for all the things that uh, that administration was able to accomplish, and there was a lot of good, but again, it's not all uh, perfect. And uh, now I am truth, truly thankful for the progress made in recent days with the overturning of the federal legal right to murder the unborn. I'm great, grateful that that is no longer the case. But, but not to burst anybody's bubble tonight, it is now up to the states to decide whether murdering the unborn should be legal or not. And in my limited research, it appears that in 29 of the 50 states, it will remain legal after all is said and done, at least for the time being. So that's 58% of the United States uh, will be uh, allowed to, you, you can go in and have your baby uh, murdered. And uh, that is still after this particular uh, uh, Supreme Court decision. And the ruling uh, also that allows teachers and coaches to publicly pray um, this, is a, this is a wonderful thing, uh, huge and critical decisions, and these are quite a sight for sore eyes for sure, but it is sad that it took a Supreme Court case to decide that uh, a teacher could pray publicly. I mean, do you not remember, at least for those who were uh, up there in years, you do remember the time when prayer was commonplace in public school settings. Now, uh, a man was fired uh, pretty much for praying publicly. And, and now we had to bring the Supreme Court in to uh, rule upon that. And, and it took almost seven years to make that decision. 
That was back in 2015, and here it is, uh, 2022. So I'm not trying to be negative tonight. I, I'm thankful to be an American. Uh, I'm glad we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, but, but I also want to be honest about where we are as a nation in God's eyes. Okay, not in what mainstream media says, not even what our administration says. Of course, our administration says that everything's hunky-dory, and uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that uh, they are not looking at the same nation. <laughs> um, we see inflation all around us, unstable economy, looming recession, and uh, all these things. But look, what is the key, though, to bringing prosperity back to our nation? Is it political reform? Uh, I, the, the psalmist said in Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9, he said this, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Uh, princes back in the day, if you remember, um, you know, it was the, the king who sat on the throne and the one who would usually take the place of the king after he passed on was his son, was the prince. And so as the, uh, the people would uh, look at who the prince is and they would go, ooh, he's going to be a good king. I can't wait until dad croaks so that uh, this guy can be in the, in, on the throne and, and everything will be much better. And the psalmist said, look, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Why? Because man uh, falls and, and man fails, but God never does. So is political reform the answer for our nation? I would say no. Now remember that, uh, and, and having the right people, by the way, in office is super helpful, but it does not guarantee real prosperity. Remember, this nation was founded upon the principles of God's word, so it might be wise then to go back to the document this country was founded on uh, to find out how we can prosper. And by the way, I'm not even referring to the Constitution. I'm referring to, hopefully, the book that is sitting in your lap this evening, the Holy Word of God. This is the document on which our country was founded upon. And uh, we need to get back to this book in order to find out how to prosper once again. So what then does the Word of God say about a nation and its prosperity and how to uh, get this prosperity back? Well, text verse tonight says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Psalm 33 and verse number 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. So we, we, we see that righteousness brings a, and exalts a nation. And, and a nation whose God is the Lord is blessed, is uh, prosperous, is happy. 2 Chronicles 7.14 tells us, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves... And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, will heal their land. That is what we need tonight is a nation is for God to come down and uh, hear from heaven, forgive our sin, heal our land. That is what we need tonight. And uh, it's only going to be if God's people uh, are right with him. And we're told that in the book of James that judgment must begin in the house of God. Uh, while we as a nation must hold the White House accountable, you better believe it. Um, we have every right to uh, know what's going on and, and uh, to have the commander-in-chief answer tough questions instead of saying, I'm out of here, uh, like he did recently. 
Uh, we, we are uh, to hold him accountable and because uh, we, he, he we, we don't work for him. He works for us, right? We need to remember that as a nation. But we must look not uh, more into the church house and realize that it is the condition of God's people that is more important than who sits at the resolute desk in the Oval Office. It, it really is more important in our condition and how we are doing as a people spiritually. Um, I said in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, uh, not if the people in leadership uh, and government get right with God. That's not what God says is the key to national prosperity. Uh, it's uh, his people, among his people. So God's people need to get serious and focused on righteousness once again. And when it comes to righteousness, what righteousness do we need? in order to see this nation be exalted once again. Uh, first tonight, I want us to see that the first need we have is positional righteousness. See, positionally, and I'm not talking necessarily as a nation, I'm talking about individually, uh, we need to be positionally right with God. In spite of our sin, and this is just an amazing thought tonight, something to be thankful for, in spite of our sin and rebellion, God in his abundant love and grace provided a way for us to be made right with him. Right. He didn't have to do that. Right. We were his enemies. We were ungodly. We were without strength. And yet in that, in spite of our condition, he still loved us with an everlasting love, so much so that he was willing to send his only begotten son to allow us a way to be made right with him. I mean... If you say, well, I'm having trouble being thankful tonight, well, that's something to be thankful for. That God loved us and that God made a way for us to be made right with him. And, and, that, and that way he provided was named Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Romans 5.19 says it this way, for, by, for as by one man's disobedience, that's a reference to Adam, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, that's a reference to Christ, shall many be made righteous. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So uh, Jesus was sent to this earth so that we could be made right with God to have this positional righteousness. Philippians 3.9 says, and uh, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You and I can have the righteousness of God placed upon us so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our, our righteousness because our righteousness is, according to the book of Isaiah, are as filthy rags. But uh, when he looks at us in Christ, he doesn't see our righteousness. He sees Christ's righteousness imputed to our account. Aren't you glad for that? But the truth is, positional righteousness, there are far too many people in churches who are not genuine born-again believers. I referenced uh, the passage this morning in Matthew where Jesus said, many will say unto me that day, have we not done all these things? Have we not preached? Have we not passed out flyers? Have we not ushered? Have we not... Uh, taught Sunday school classes. Have we not done all these things in your name? But he's going to say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. 
See, they had never been, uh, many people have never been positionally made right with God. And so sadly, there are churches all over this country with people who need to be made right with God positionally. And I'm not so naive to think that Cornerstone Baptist Church is not in that boat too. I imagine with the church our size that there are certainly could be one or more who are not yet born again. Who maybe have been coming here for years, decades even. Who have not personally made the decision to believe on Christ. So tonight, if you have not been born again, can I urge you to make the most important decision of your life? Why? Because hell is too horrible for you to play around with this decision. Heaven is too awesome and wonderful and glorious for you to miss this decision. Time is too short. We're not guaranteed another day. I, some, I didn't really mention it in church this morning, but... Um, my, my aunt um, just found out a few days ago that she has pancreatic cancer. And it happened within about a two-week period of time. I mean, it was quick. She's waiting some results, but in her uh, Facebook post, she talked about just how fast life can bring a change. And, and y- you and I, look, Everything seems to be hunky-dory today, but tomorrow it may not be. So we need to be prepared for eternity because it is sooner than we think, and it is longer than we think. Eternity is too long to play around with this decision. So uh, tonight it doesn't matter if you're a deacon, a, a longtime church member, a child, an usher, a teenager, a Sunday school teacher, a staff member. Are you saved? Have you received the righteousness of God by faith in Christ? Have you been born again? Have you been made right positionally? If not, tonight's the night. Let's get it settled. Righteousness exalteth the nation. The first righteousness we need is positional righteousness. We need our churches filled with genuine born-again believers. Um, And again, when uh, you consider... Uh, the, the disciples, those who walked and talked with Jesus for three and a half years, and they got to be around the, the Savior. There was one who failed to trust him, and he was a counterfeit. He was a fake, a phony, a charlatan. His name was Judas. Could there be a Judas in the midst tonight? There is. Let's get it settled. Let's get it settled. We need to be made right positionally. But then we need not only uh, positional righteousness, we also need personal righteousness. Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When I think of someone focusing on personal righteousness, I think of one of the greatest kings in all of Judah's history, a young man named Josiah. And if I can invite you to turn in your Bible back to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter number 34. If you find Nehemiah, it's right before, uh, two books before Nehemiah. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And we're going to just very briefly tonight look at Josiah and his quest for personal righteousness, which ultimately ended up in, ended up in resulting in national 
righteousness. And uh, pick it up in, uh, in verse number one. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Do we have any eight-year-olds in the house tonight? We have an eight-year-old back there. Who is that? Mr. Sammy? Okay. I'd actually probably vote for Sammy over, uh, well, never mind. Um, but uh, I, I actually would vote for you. Sammy, 2024, baby. I remember when I turned uh, 35 years old, um, which is the legal age for becoming and running for president of the United States, a good friend of mine said, uh, congratulations, you're now old enough to be the president of the United States and wise enough not to be. <laughs> I thought, that's good. And so I share that everybody with everybody that I know turns 35. Um, but Josiah was eight years old when he uh, took the throne and and uh, you say, well, man, kids can't do anything. Kids can do something. And Josiah showed how much he could do and uh, for righteousness. He was eight years old when he began to reign, verse 1 says, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and 30 years. Verse 2 says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So some righteousness going on here. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. In Josiah's life, it's clear that he focused on the priority of personal righteousness. What, how did, what did that look like, and, and how, did, how did that uh, kind of manifest itself? Well, first of all, uh, he removed wickedness. You look in verse number 3 here of uh, chapter 34. For in the eighth year of his reign, so he started reigning when he was eight, and now eight years later, he's how old? He's 16 years old. Do we have any 16-year-olds in the house tonight? Okay, a couple of young men up here. Um, so we have a 16-year-old Josiah, and uh, verse 3 says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, while he was 16 years old, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, so 8 plus 12 is what? 20, uh, I'm pretty sure. I know it's a Sunday night. My brain is a little out there, but uh, I think 12 plus 8 is 20. So when he was 20 years old, do we have any 20-year-olds in the house tonight? How about 21-year-olds? I know we do. Okay. Uh, You were 20 just a few days ago. Um, But uh, anyway, okay, so 20 years old. And uh, what did he he do when he was 20? Um, He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images, and they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. He cut down in the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He break in pieces and made dust of them and shrouded upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. So talk about draining the swamp. Uh, when uh, Josiah kind of figured out what was going on and took inventory of his nation, he said, you know what, we're going to get rid of these places of false worship and these places of wickedness that were going on. And he said, we're going to get rid of them. We're going to burn them down. We're going to take them down. So he took care of business and removed the places of false worship and places of wickedness. Said uh, Chronicles 7.14, a verse that I quoted a moment ago. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And most people are cool with all of those things. But this last one is a little bit harder to do. And that is turn from their wicked ways. 
Then God promises to hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal their land. So to turn from our wicked ways, to remove the wickedness that is in our life. If we are going to see true revival in this country really turn around and see prosperity again, it's not that we just need to elect another president who is going to make good decisions, although that's a good thing, and I am going to vote for the right president next time around. Um, and I want to try to vote properly, I, and I encourage you to do the same. But if we're going to really see this country turn around, we must individually get serious about removing wickedness from our lives. So we need to take inventory of our lives like Josiah took inventory of his nation and said, hey, what's going on over there? Why, why, what, what's happening over there? Okay, what's happening over there? All right, Let, let's do this. Let's get rid of it all. And he did. He got rid of all of it. What wickedness in your life do you need to completely eradicate from your life? Is it music? Is it entertainment? A friend that is a bad influence in your life that's dragging you down. Um, I recently read about when uh, Amnon, who had a friend, and he ended up having a very terrible, uh, committed terrible wickedness uh, with his half-sister Tamar. And it was encouraged by having the wrong friend in his life named Jonadab. So, young people, take inventory of your life. Are your friends encouraging you in your walk with God? Or are they trying to bring you down? And it's the old adage of, hey, uh, why don't you come on up here, Joel? Okay, I'm going to try to get you to come up these steps. You, you stay right there. You stay right there. And I'm just going to try to pull you up, okay? Go ahead. And, 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 and you don't, don't help me too much, okay? This guy's being such a good, good guy. But I'm going to try to pull you up here. Uh, okay, I got it. Okay, now you try to pull me down. <laughs> okay, it didn't take it didn't take much. This is a strong dude right here. I'm not going to mess with you. You can be seated. Okay, it's that principle of I I can try to pull my friends up, and and we should we should be a good influence on on our friends and stuff. But but if they're drawing you down, it's a lot easier for them to draw you down than it is for you to pull them up. So all of us need to take inventory of the influences in our lives, and are we. Are we being effective? Then keep going. But if they're being effective, then you need to let go. What, what wickedness in our lives do we need to remove? Is it uh, the wrong language? Is it alcohol? What, what is it tonight? Whatever it is, can I encourage all of us tonight to admit it and abandon it, to not try to sweep it under the rug and pretend it's not there, pretend it's not a big deal, but to do what Proverbs 28, 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Um, I want mercy in my life. I, I need it because I, I know that I don't deserve it, but, but I need mercy. And, and I want, I, it says, He that covereth his sins, those who kind of sweep it under the rug, they're not going to prosper. And we're talking about the key to national prosperity. If we keep sweeping our sins under the rug, we're not going to have prosperity. It's only when we're going to have this confession and forsaking of our sin that we will have prosperity. And so we see we need to remove wickedness from our lives like Josiah did in Judah. And then we see number, number two here, we need to return to the house of God. If we keep reading in, in uh, verses uh, 8, and uh, through 10 here, it says, Now in the 18th year of his reign, so he's now 
uh, 26 years old. I'll do the math for you. Uh, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Mahasiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkiah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered of the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel and of all Judah and Benjamin. And they returned to Jerusalem and they put in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord. And they gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. So this, of course, was the temple, the place of worship and the house of God in that time. And and uh, they uh, put a priority once again on the house of God and the place of worship. Uh, whereas before it was just kind of like, oh, it was broken down and yawn. That's just the way it's going to be. Uh, but Josiah said, hey, we're going to fix this up. We're going we're gonna to make this right again. And we're going we're gonna to put a priority on the house of God. And by the way, his priority on the house of God impacted others. If you look at verse number 12, when it talked about the men who were doing the work, they did the work faithfully. Uh, so they were in the, involved and they were into it as well. And it was because of Josiah's priority that it impacted the lives of those around him. If we're going to see this nation turn around, one of the things is that those who name the name of Christ need to make the house of God a priority in their lives. We need to not make this an optional thing in our families. Where it's like, okay, it's Sunday night, are we going to go to church? It's Wednesday night, are we going to go to church, mom and dad? That really, again, as I've mentioned several times, ought not to be a question that is asked in our homes. It should just be automatic that we're there. And, and uh, look, I, I realize that vacations are going on and, and uh, several have happened already, and I'm grateful that they're over, because <laughs> I'm glad you're home. I'm glad you're back. I, I miss you when you're gone. And, uh, and look, we're going to get ready to go in August as a family, and, and we're looking forward to it and missing a Sunday. Um, uh, but here's the deal. Other than that, you should only miss church when you are providentially hindered, that every time the church doors are open, that you are in those doors. And uh, when, when we're faithful to church, then we're growing in our relationship with God and we're able to be a blessing to others and minister in that way. And that makes a big difference. Um, I realize that COVID has hurt a lot of churches and their attendances. My, my dad called me a couple weeks ago and, and said, hey, how are you doing? How is the church doing? I said, fine. I mean, you know, pretty good. Why? Like, that's not normally a question he asked, but he was he asked very concerned, you know, how is the church doing? I said, Dad, Dad, we're doing good. I mean, things are rolling and we got vacation Bible school coming up here in a little bit and we're 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 ramping up. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that because I just read a report that a lot of churches have closed since covid took over. And a lot of pastors have quit the ministry because of covid and. Uh, some of the challenges that came as a result of that. And that's a sad thing that, that, that people have used COVID as maybe an excuse to not be in church. And, and I realize that for some, it's, you remember when we went through it, uh, you, you got my heart on it, I hope, that, uh, that, that I'm not trying to be uh, 
unreasonable about the whole situation. But, but look, some who should and could be back in church in person have not come back in church in person. And, and, and watching online, I'm sorry, that's, that's not a, a substitute. And uh, there are some churches, uh, my wife was telling me, a church that uh, up in Maine, that they uh, have their services on YouTube and all that, but they actually make it a private thing. And if you want to have the link, the church will send it to you. But they don't want it to be like, hey, uh, use this as a um, substitute for being in person. Because we need each other, and, and, and I need you, and you need me. We, we need each other. We're, we're a family. We're a unit. And we need to be together. And here, Josiah made uh, church, a, or not church, but the house of God important again. And we need to make it important in our lives. Um, we need to have the priority of the house of God, and we need to return to it. And so... I was talking to a neighbor of ours, and, and she was talking about their church and how they don't have Sunday night church on this particular week. And, uh, and that's fine. I mean, each church is going to have to do it differently and all that. Um, but they, they have kind of a family week is what they call it. And, and I'm not trying to be critical of that. That's, that's fine. But I, I also want to try to, hey, so much the more as you see the day approaching, not so much the less, not trying to find ways to, to cancel church, but try to wait. You, you, you get what I'm saying on this. And, and here, Josiah, and again, I'm not trying to uh, badmouth another church. They, they're their own independent situation, and that's fine. They need to make their own choices. But I want to make sure that we here at Cornerstone are, are, are putting the priority where God wants it to be. Jesus died for the church, gave himself for it, shed his own blood for the church. It's important to him. It ought to be important to us. So return to the house of God. Thirdly, we need to reverence the scriptures. Reverence the scriptures. Uh, pick it up in verse 14. Verse 14, they brought the money. When they brought the money that was out in the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah answered and said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan carried the book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, all that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And they have gathered together the money that was found in the house of the Lord and delivered it in the hand of the workmen, overseers in the hand of the workmen. And then Shaphan the scribe told the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest had given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And when it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the law, that he rent his clothes. And uh, verse 21, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for them that are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. And, and, and on it goes. I mean, this, this, this goes on and on throughout the rest of this chapter and how they, they took time to read God's word. They took time to uh, find out what it had to say and, and repented for where they had failed the Lord and where they had veered off course. And uh, there was a reverence for the word of God. Do we reverence the scriptures tonight individually enough to read the scriptures? Do we take time each day to crack open the holy word of God? Um, there was a, a verse that I saw this morning that I was reading 
before I came in today, and um, it's in Psalm 119, and man, I don't know if I'm going to find it. Um, it's in Psalm 119, and, and, and this, this particular psalm is, is awesome because each verse deals with the Word of God. And uh, man, I don't know. Okay, I think I might be able to find it. Yes. Okay. Psalm 119, verse 162 says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So suppose tonight you were driving along and you see on the side of the road this treasure chest that's just there. And you're like, well, that's odd. I don't remember seeing that on Eastern or on Main Street or on Santa Fe or wherever you're driving tonight. Let me pull over. There's a parking lot just ahead. I'm going to pull over and get out and take a look at this treasure chest. And you open it up and it's unlocked and there's like all this money and jewels and gold and silver and um, all kinds of, and you're like, no way. Greatest Sunday night ever. I mean, you know, I went to church and now I find this awesome treasure. And are you going to be disappointed in that? You're going to be rejoicing. You just found great spoil. Well, the psalmist said in verse 162, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So when we open God's word, we're going, man, I found the truth of God's word. And, and, and I get to read it every day. And no one's, no one's trying to take the Bible from me. No one's trying to uh, remove it from my life. I get to have it. I get to have multiple, ver- I get to have multiple uh, models. I can have a, uh, a Bible in my office. I can have a Bible in my, my home. I can have a Bible on my phone, my iPad. I can have a Bible everywhere. I have a free, the freedom to do that. But do we honestly rejoice at his word as one that findeth great spoil? That was a convicting thought to me. And uh, that's, uh, that, that, that verse caught my attention this morning. Do we reverence the scriptures enough to read it? Do we reverence the scriptures enough to heed it? to uh, take heed to it, to obey it, to do the word of God. And that's what Josiah was saying. You know what? I'm getting serious about the word of God. I'm not going to just say, well, that's nice and go and do my own thing. He said, no, we're going to we're going to get right with God. We're going to we're going to do this. If you uh, pick it up here in verse 30 of Second Chronicles 34, it says, And the king went up in the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which were written in this book. And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. So he said, hey, we're going we're gonna to start obeying the scriptures. And look, if we're going to really see revival and prosperity come back to this nation, it's going to be because God's people get back to the scriptures and start obeying the word of God. How are we going to obey it if we don't even know what it says, if we're not in it every day? Let's be in God's word Cornerstone Baptist Church, let's be faithful to read the scriptures every day and then to obey the scriptures. All right. 
So we're talking tonight about seeing our country prosper again. How can we do that? First, we need positional righteousness. Then we need personal righteousness. Finally, we need to, and I'll wrap it up with this thought, we need to preach righteousness. 2 Peter 2 verse 5 tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was a man who declared righteousness during an incredibly wicked day and time. He stood up and spoke out for truth. As you know, we are currently living in a day and time when the loudest voices are the ones championing wickedness. The most booming voices and the most noticed are the ones speaking for abominable lifestyles and for the atrocity of killing the unborn. They seem to be the most audible of all voices in recent years. But David asked this question in Psalm 11, verse 3, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So what are we to do? May I suggest that we as God's people start changing the tide, that we, like Noah of old, begin being preachers of righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, in verse number 13, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be assaulted? It, assaulted, it is thenceforth good for nothing to cast out, be trodden under foot of men. And he says, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We need to be the salt and light in this day, so let's stop hiding our light. In fear of, oh, Lord, what if, what if everybody in my family doesn't like me for standing up for truth and for righteousness' sake? Well, let our light so shine before men. And we need to do this. And I'm not saying tonight we need to be obnoxious, but we do need to be bold. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Look, when we are positionally right and personally right, then we have the ability then to be bold as a lion and preach righteousness. Friend, the truth is, and there is some truth, that marriage between one man and one woman is still right. That is the truth. And anything else is still wrong. I realize, I, I realize culture doesn't believe that anymore, but God's word still says it, and we ought not to be ashamed of preaching the truth. God made male and female the only two genders that God made, not 112 according to an article that I read not too long ago. Friend, there's tremendous clarity in the scriptures. And the article was only off by 110 because, see, he only made two genders, male and female. And he didn't make a mistake in making you a male or making you a female. He did not make a mistake. He never has and never will make a mistake. So that's the truth. The truth is life is precious. And terminating a pregnancy is not some medical procedure of choice. It's killing and murdering the life of a little one that God values so very much. So while these are definitely worthy of our preaching and standing up for, the most important message we can and should be preaching is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because why? The greatest way we can change this culture is not by convincing somebody that their political beliefs are wrong. It's by giving them the life-changing message of the gospel. People don't need a better political party. They need to be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how are we supposed to preach righteousness? 
Very quickly, two quick thoughts here. We are to preach it with our walk. 1 Corinthians 9.14 says, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Yes, our talk talks and our walk talks, but we need to remember tonight that our walk talks louder than our talk talks. In other words, we need to let our life be a testimony of the difference Christ can make in someone's life. Let people see Jesus in you and see the change he's made in your life. And your, mess, your, your, the, your, your life needs to back up your lips. And so tonight, make sure that our walk is preaching. But then we preach not only with our walk, but also with our words. Mark 16, 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Yes, with our walk and our life and our testimony, but also our words. The word preach means to herald as a public crier, to proclaim, to publish. So my question to you tonight is, are you doing that? We have church outreach every Saturday. Want to make a difference in this community? Come out and help us. There are lots of great ways to make a difference, running for school board, running for a political office, being involved in chamber of commerce, being involved in a community event. These are all good things and things we as a church want to encourage. But the most important way we can impact this community is by preaching the life-changing message of the gospel of Christ, by proclaiming the truth that Jesus died for us according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. So again, are you doing that. We want to see this country turn around. Well, we need to be positionally right with God. We need to be personally right with God. But then we also need to start preaching righteousness and preaching not only our, not, not our righteousness, but the righteousness that is found in Christ and through the gospel. We need to be preaching the truth. That's what's going to make the greatest change in this nation is if we all get serious as God's people about getting the gospel out into our communities. So what's the key to national prosperity? I'd love to see a new regime take over. That would be helpful and something we need to work for and vote for. But more than that, we need to make sure that we're positionally right with God individually so tonight, are you? Have you been made right with God through faith in Christ? And then personally, are you righteous? And none of us are going to be perfect, obviously, but are, have we taken time to take inventory of our lives and remove the wickedness that is there? Have we made the house of God a priority in our lives? Have we returned to the house of God and have we rever are we reverencing the scriptures? enough to read them and enough to obey them and then are we preaching righteousness um, standing up for truth and what's right but also preaching the gospel that's the most important thing so tonight I think all of us could stand to instead of just saying amen to this country needs revival to realize that actually there's some things that we each individually can and should be doing to see revival come about in our nation. And let's pray together. Lord.
we do love this nation that you've allowed us to live in. Thank you for our rich history and for the freedoms that we enjoy even today, even though some of them may be under attack. We're thankful for some of the decisions recently and for the progress that has been made. But uh, Lord, obviously we still have a long way to go to getting back to the country that we once were. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to realize that your word gives us the key to national prosperity. It's not found in political reform. It's found in the scriptures in the word righteousness. Righteousness exalteth the nation. And Lord, we want to see our nation exalted again. Um, but Lord, it's only going to be so if we are positionally right with you, if we're personally right with you, and if we're focused on preaching righteousness in, our, in and through our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would bless and seal these decisions. Our heads are bowed and eyes closed. Uh, Miss Pat, if you don't mind uh, playing through this chorus, The Family of God, and as she does, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer decision there in your seat as the Lord has spoken to your heart uh, this evening.